Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. In this episode, I'm joined by Ron Tite. Now, Ron is a brilliant guy, a creative director, runs a very successful agency in Toronto. He's also a guy who trained at Toronto's legendary Second City, coming up as a comedian. So he's a stitch. But the reason I've cut him on is because I want to talk about, for starters, his latest book, which is called Everyone's an Artist, or at least they should be. We're going to talk about how speaking and comedy connects to business, how improv plays a role, and the emotional reaction that we really get with comedy which tells you you don't have to be funny to be effective. You're going to learn a ton and have a great time with Ron Tite. Ron Tite, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm so excited to be here. You know, one of the most interesting things about your background is obviously you run a very successful agency in Toronto, but the thing that always captures my attention is your background training at Second City in comedy. So... Mm-hmm. Tell people a little bit about how did how did that come to be, and how do you apply that to your business today? You know, uh, I started out like a lot of well, like a lot of people, but like a lot of comedians, where I just like I wanted, I really wanted to do it, and so I started kind of training at the Second City, and which is a, a wonderful organization that is really uses improv and sketch comedy, and so I had that training, and then morphed that into being a stand-up. And so I became, in this weird sense, I was like the stand-up in an improv and sketch world. So we're still really close with the folks at Second City and was on their corporate roster for a long time. And, and um, you know, what I, what, I just, what I really loved about it is that there's, there's just no excuses. You know, it's like either they laughed or they didn't. It's that simple. And it is there is no there is no career in the world that has the pressure that that a that a comedian does that a stand-up comedian has because you've got it's like you've got all your customers who have assembled to sit before you and you're elevated and you have the room and they're just sitting there saying make me laugh that's your job you either deliver or you don't. Go ahead, funny man. Make me laugh. I had a miserable day. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm a welder. I just lost my job. I hate my wife. What do you got? Yeah. And you know, it's so. I just, I just, I lo- absolutely loved that pressure, and I loved the solo aspect of being a stand-up. Um, in in that, it's like it's all in you. And what's really interesting is that like many other things in life and certainly in business, there actually are no rules. So we all assume there are rules. We assume that as a stand-up comedian, this is what I need to do. I need to dress this way. I need to act this way. I need to stand before a microphone and then take the microphone out of the stand and push the stand to the side and you know do all those sorts of things because that's what a comedian does. The reality is there are no rules. You don't have to do that. You could use a flip chart if you want to. You could use a stand on a stool if you wanted to. You could do whatever you want, and you should access all those things because, again, the pressure's on you that either they laughed or they didn't. And and so it's really funny that for a space that's so creative in many ways is not at all. 
everybody looks the same, acts the same, kind of does the what's the deal with the airplane, you know. Um, and and so that, that I just I just love the environment, I love the approach, and all that. And I and I think how I've applied that to business now, like, and just there's just so many different ways from being able to work a room to understanding what insight is, to understanding that it's not about the insight, but it's about where you take the insight, about, you know, creating your own rules, about creating your opportunities, about having a script, but then being able to veer from the script at the last second, being able to improvise, being able to work a room, you know, reading body language, all those things that are so critical in business, especially in the sales process, those are all things that a comedian does. Sure. Now, you, you mentioned this idea about insight. So talk to me. What do you mean by that? When you, when you say insight, um, where, where, where are you going with that? Well, you know, a, 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 whenever a comedian writes a joke, they don't think of the punchline first. They typically look at something and go, huh, that's different. Like in Toronto, there is a, there's a subway called the TTC. And there's a really, really wealthy neighborhood in Toronto called Rosedale. It's probably Canada's most wealthiest downtown neighborhood. And there's a subway stop. And the insight there is, huh, nobody ever gets off at this stop. You know, it's the, the subway is packed with people and nobody ever gets off at this stop. So that's an insight that nobody maybe had thought of before. Or it's about consumer behavior, but why nobody gets on or off at this particular stop. Well, that's not the funny part. The funny part is where you take that. And, I, you know, I wrote a complete 10-minute bit on the, the Rosedale subway station and, and what else was behind these walls and, you know, and everything. But it starts with the insight. In advertising, it starts with the insight. It starts with, you know, wow... Heinz ketchup is really, really slow when it comes out of the bottle. Well, you can't just say that, but that insight allows you to create a commercial or allows you to tell a story that's a creative spin on that insight. You know, we always say in comedy, like, oh, it's funny because it's true. Well, the reason it's true is because it's an insight. It's an insight that about consumer behavior, about personal behavior, about marriages, about airplanes, whatever it is, where somebody goes... I hadn't thought about it that way before, but you're right. When we can access that in meetings, in relationships, in pitches, when we get to, when we can have somebody say, "Wow, I hadn't thought about about it that way before," and you're right. Now that's pretty powerful. Now you can take that person wherever you want to take them. You can upsell them. You can cross sell them. You can pitch whatever. They trust you. They understand where you're coming from. Yep. No, and I think I think that's that's great because I just want to make sure that people fully captured and Kimberly, so did I, that I captured what you meant by insight, which is here's the observation, and now why is that worth a story? Why is that funny or not funny? So I was going to say I think one of the best examples, um, and this is probably more well known to your listeners, Jerry Seinfeld. You know, great insight around. I'll tell you what the horses don't know in a horse race is that. If they accidentally fall down and break their leg, we're going to blow their brains out. <laughs> now, that's a great insight. And then where he makes it really funny is when he says, because if they did know that, 
I'll tell you what we'd hear. We'd hear horses talking to one another, going, easy, fellas, easy. You know, as long as you got your health, you win, I place, whatever. Right? So he started with that great insight that the horses don't know that they can't break their leg or we're going to blow their brains out. And then he takes it into a whole other space where the horses are talking to one another. That combination is really powerful. Yeah. So so let me ask you this, because there's a lot of people probably listening going, yeah, but, you know, what? What if I'm not funny? So undoubtedly, I've got CEOs on here who are going to be addressing an audience of people. And the question they always ask me is, hey, well, so I I see when you speak, you use a lot of comedy and it's pretty funny. So what do you think, Ian? Should I use comedy too? And I go, no, (laughs) no, you shouldn't. And and why not? Well, because if you have to ask me whether or not you would, then you probably have a pretty good sense that you're not that funny. And if you know you're not right, that funny, exactly. then you probably shouldn't use it. So what's the what's the guidance that you have for people on when to use comedy, when to use humor, and when not to? You know, I think what people have to think about instead of saying, do I use humor? It's not actually about being funny at all. Even when you're funny, it's not about being funny. It's about being effective. And that how do you use humor to set somebody up so that they're really just – they're open to hearing – you know, uh, the, your message. Like, is it that, again, is it a pitch? Is it an internal meeting? What is the really important? Because the funny is not the important part. The funny just captures their attention. And it's as if in a comedy club, what happens after the punchline? Once you've got their attention, you can take them anywhere. So it's not about being funny at all. It's about being effective. What I would tell people is funny isn't the only thing that you can do to set somebody up. So it's the exact same emotional process of making somebody laugh than it is to make them cry, than it is to make them think really, really hard or to make them angry. It's the exact same process. It can start with an insight and then you take it into a place that's really, really intriguing and and surprising for them. They hadn't thought of it that way before. So, hey, you don't have to be funny. Um, The second thing is that, you know, if if Jerry Seinfeld started to do F-bomb humor, you'd think that's not... The brand that when I think of that guy, I don't think of him delivering that type of funny. And so I would say to people, instead of saying, you're not funny, I would say, I don't think that uh, approach is consistent with your brand. Yeah. I don't think it's consistent with your personality. And, um, and, and you're going to try to be something that you're not. And people smell that a mile away. And so it's like, you know, I'm sure you've had this where the CEO says, I'm going to be funny, and then turns to the room and says, so Jerry Seinfeld said that horses break their legs and we blow their, uh, mean, no, horses have rifles and they break other horses' legs. You know, that's not it. You know, you just got to go, that's not in your wheelhouse, and it, yeah. and it doesn't have to be. Exactly. Well, and I think what you're touching on is that what you're trying to do is share a story or an example that hits someone emotionally that then makes them receptive to the rest of your message that they can then internalize or not as, as, as you see fit. So I remember years ago, there was a life insurance sales guy that I was working with. And I always say it's very effective to use third party stories. And so we were talking about how much coverage I had and gee, you know, I, and I said, well, I think I have enough. And he says, okay. He says, you know, about a month ago, um, I had I had a client of mine who unfortunately became ill and passed away, and 
and I knew they had, you know, a fair amount of insurance. And so I went out to personally deliver the check from the insurance company to his widow. And I came out there and I expressed my condolences and I said, here, and here's the check from the insurance company. And she looked at me and she said, that's it. How are we going to live on that? And I realized that I had just like totally deserved them by not really understanding what their real needs were for insurance. I guess right. what? that's not funny, huh. but emotionally I thought, so Scott, do you think I have enough? <laughs> right? Because, yeah. because yeah. I don't want my wife to be in that same situation. <laughs> and so now I am rest assured worth way more dead than alive. <laughs> I was going to say, and that's when your wife says, Ian is cheap, even in death. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but it's like, you yes, know, you're, but you're, you're right. You're, you're bang on with that, right? Like that, that approach. And I was hanging on every word with this, right? And, and that's what you want is somebody to hang on every word so that you can deliver the message you want to deliver. And sometimes that's accompanied by a laugh and sometimes it's accompanied by a tear or, you know, whatever. Yep. And, and I know, I know that some people have taken to studying improv as part of their business. What guidance do you mm-hmm. have for people who are, who are contemplating studying improv? I think it's great. I mean, certainly from a comedy perspective, I think improv, you know how all musicians take piano? Yep. You know, even if they play guitar, they all have this bass skill of piano. I think a comedy that every comedian should take improv um, because there's two things that I love about improv in business, or at least this learning the skill. The first thing is Man, it is. It, it just helps you put everything into perspective. Where we always go into things and um, we think they're going to work out in a certain way, and you know what? Sometimes they don't. And and there can be great joy, and there can be great creativity, and there can be great expression and success in something happening to you that doesn't go the way you had planned. And so it's a great almost light, and I sound really hokey here and a little bit hippie, but it's such a great life philosophy to go, huh, you know what, not sure what's going to happen and things typically work out in the end. That is such a great life philosophy and a great business philosophy to always look on the positive side and to always know that you just got to be open to, to helping things change. The other, the other approach is a, is a much more functional or tactical approach, which is you can have a script, but there comes great joy and, 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 and again, great success in being able to collaborate with somebody and to work it out together. And together you will find that path. And, you know, we see this a lot in partnerships when two organizations or two people come together to partner on a program. And we just, like, I literally just came out of a meeting here with, uh, with a chef that we were going to partner on for one of our food clients. And I just said, look, let's just do it to do it. And let's, it, will, it will work out how the money works out and how the process works out. But let's just know that we're going to have fun at kind of jumping into the process. And everything else will reveal itself in the end. That's kind of, improv. Kind of like the way we're doing this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Much, we'll get much, there when we get there. Much much like that. And, and we know we'll be there when we get there, which is perfect. Yeah, but you know, there's, there's, there's so many people who go, well, these are my terms of the partnership and this is going to make my money. And you're like, you're writing a script for a thing you don't even know how it's going to go yet. Why are you putting all these parameters in place? Just yeah. be open to kind of playing with people and being honest and transparent through it. And supporting one another, it's amazing what you can create as a result of it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When I was in college, 
I, I was a baseball umpire, umpire division one college baseball. And people said, well, and, and I always say to people, look, it was really valuable for me to have done that. And they said, why? I mean, what'd you learn from that? I said, you know, in all my years of business, there isn't a single business interaction I had that was as caustic as, <laughs> as, as a baseball coach who thought his guy was safe that I called out, right? Never in a million years. No client ever kicked dirt on your shoes in a boardroom? Well, twice, <laughs> twice, but I don't like to talk about it. One guy brought in a bucket of dirt into the conference room, really unexpected, right? And it's just like, I mean, I never heard of that, but, you know, it's, and the fact that it happened twice made it even more remarkable. Yeah, I put his hat on backwards and got up all in your grill. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You were there. So, you know, they, they, that scenario, though, prepared me so that, there's never been anything stressful. Like when someone will say, oh, do you ever get nervous when you go on stage? I'm like, no, because there's no chance of anyone running out at me with a bat. That's that's not going to happen. At least that's my <laughs> expectation is it's not going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And, and you're, so, you're so right. So I, I think I think there's valuable lessons there. Now, in, in your in your new book, you've got everyone's an artist in parentheses, or at least they should be. And part of that comes down to this discussion about improv. But what do you mean by that when you say everyone's an artist or they should be? Well, the, the, you know, the first part of the everybody is an artist, and it's so true, right? We all have this basic desire to create. When we were kids, we were all artists, and, you, you know, we, we have the ability to do that, and we had the confidence to do it. And then somewhere along the way, we sold our soul for a minivan and a pair of chinos or something, you know, and we and we kind of turned our back on that. But every once in a while, and now that you see this with low cost of production and and, and the massive distribution available to people, now we're turning to our Instagram feeds for our creative for our creative outlet and we're turning to our PowerPoint decks. We're like, oh, I can get to animate. I'm going to show my hint of creativity. And so we do all have this base uh, ability and, and desire to be artists. And we all um, will should do that. And I think that's the most important part now is that, that because they're, you know, people used to vote with their wallets and now they vote with their time. I don't care whether that's in your marriage or in a sales process or with clients or prospects, people vote with their time now. And, and how do you win that battle for time? And the way to do that is we have to approach that situation the way an artist approaches their work. I'm not saying you got to take a blank canvas and paint it. What I'm saying is that, that, that pure artists have these great behavioral traits that we all can learn from. And, you know, one is, you know, an artist, just as an example, you know, an artist does it to do it. They, they, they have a vision for something and they just start exploring it. And, you know, a great example of this is, is you know, Blue Man Group. Blue Man Group, when they started, they didn't, they didn't approach that business to, to, with, a, with a, a business plan and they were pitching VCs kind of going, this is what we want to do. We want to make a global entertainment conglomerate that's going to feature three dudes who are bald and blue and who don't speak and they're going to, you know, spit out Captain Crunch. <laughs> nobody would ever invest in that. They're, nobody would ever invest in that. But what they did was they had this idea of let's just do a funeral procession through Central Park to celebrate the death of the 80s as a decade and we'll wear these blue men. And it was just 
something really interesting to do. It was low cost. It was low risk. And they did it to just do it. They didn't talk about metrics and they didn't talk about it. They just did it because it was interesting. Lo and behold, they do it. They find out that people are really intrigued by the blue men. Then they start to do street theater where like, yeah, just kind of going, let's just explore this. And they just did it. And then they laddered up to a one-night theater and then now cut to many years later and we, we know what they've been able to do. But that first step of going, I don't care, I'm just going to, because I think it's interesting. Far too many of us, don't, we don't do that. We spend a life of shoulda, coulda, woulda, and we don't. Great artists actually go out that and they get it done. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's just one trait of, uh, of that, that artists have. Um, they, you know, artists and, you know, you talk, you, you raise such a great example of an umpire and that you have to deal with the, what I would call the heckler, right? That, 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 and you have strategies for dealing with coaches and, and managers to, to deal. In comedy, the exact same thing, that there are hecklers and you have to manage to deal with those people. And, and all art, you, when you're putting yourself out there to express yourself, you're going to get hecklers. And you have to have a way of dealing with that. And far too many of us in life don't. Yeah. We, we put the walls up. We can't handle it. We, we have no strategies to deal with those people who agree with us. We yell at our spouse when they don't side with us. You know, all those sorts of things. Real, real artists, true artists, have a handle on their haters yeah. and their hecklers. No, you know, that's a, that's a great point. I know that the, so the, the first high-profile game that I ever umpired, it was UCLA versus San Diego State. And Gary Adams, a longtime coach at UCLA, and so in these big college games, you have three umpires. So I'm working third base because the other guys are like, look, this is your first big game. We're going to put you at third base because hardly anything ever happens there. <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, fine. So this is in San Diego. UCLA's up first. The first pitch, this kid, Robbie Katzeroff, hits a ball in the, in the right center field. And now he's stretching a double into a triple. This is the first pitch, right? Oh, yeah. This is the first game. Oh, yeah. He comes he comes sliding into third, beats the tag, but then his momentum takes him off the bag. He's diving back for the bag as the third baseman's diving in to tag him. And I'm just sitting there watching this whole thing and I call him out. And Gary Adams comes running from the dugout at the third base. Now keep in mind, I've now officially been umpiring at this level for about thirty-four seconds. Right? And, and and Gary Adams, this guy is like legendary coach, is running out. And as he's running out, I'm looking at him, and then I look down at my wrist where my watch is, and I look at him, I look at my look at my wrist, look at him, look at my watch, and he comes out and he goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, coach, it took you a long time to get here. You must have been pretty far away. How can I help you?" <laughs> right? And he and he looks at me like just like speechless, and he says. Well, so what the hell happened? I said, well, he, he beat the throw. And then he slid off the base. And then on the way back, your guy tagged him on the left part of his hand less than a foot away from the bag. So it's a shame because he beat yeah. it, but then he couldn't beat him back to the bag. And he goes, so, so he put the tag on him? I said, yeah. He goes, all right. And then just walked back, and that was it. And the guy said, well, how'd you come up with that? I'm like, well, look, it just occurred to me, much to your point of insight, the insight is, Wow, he's a long ways away. He couldn't see a damn thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make that into a story that opens his eyes to what I have to say. That's amazing. And um, I mean, it's just kind of an interesting experience, though, to um, 
to have gone through, gone through that. So, so I guess the, the key to this is that if you want to unleash your inner artist, take a chance. So don't think about, oh, how are we going to get this end result? Just unleash the creativity and be open to where it might or might not take you. Yeah, there. That, I mean, that's certainly that's certainly one of the things that that artists do really, really well. I mean, they they, they you know, and again, I'm saying true art, and it can be a visual artist, it can be a, a, a dancer, a sculptor, whatever. Um, but there's just there's if if artists worked the way business people worked, they would have one great painting at the beginning of their career and then they would continue to make tweaks of it to it for the rest of their life <laughs> you know or they would benchmark other artists and present their work in a powerpoint deck which has slight variations on it yep. there'd be no originality whatsoever and that's the thing that we're suffering from and that's why people aren't winning the battle for time yep. because they're looking and they're acting and they're sounding like the same company in, the, in their other companies in the category and when you look at the mass dis- disruption that's taking place, I don't care if you look at FI, I don't care if you look at technology, telecom, whatever. The companies who are really, really disrupting the space are coming from out of nowhere. Yeah. And why is that? Because all the incumbents are staring at each other doing the exact same thing. Yeah, that's you know, a recipe for disaster. You know, it's you know, I'm so glad you I'm so glad you brought that up because my thought was, hey, what's the biggest mistake that big brands are making? And in essence, it's they're just playing the same tune over and over again. And we all become numb to hearing that tune. Yeah. And, and they're using the same people. They're hiring the same types of people and uh, you know, and they're benchmarking each other and credit cards are going like, Oh, they're charging 17%. Let's charge 16 and a half. And you know, like, it's like, this is not. Yeah. What's an awful concept. Yeah. Yeah. As, a, as, as opposed, as opposed to the people, it's, it's funny. It's like one of the things that I always, I always suggest to clients is look, Instead of being a generalist, be a specialist. So instead of, oh, we want to get more clients in this space, say, okay, no, no. How do you capture all the clients in this sub-sub market of that space? Well, you become a specialist to those people. Yeah. If you had one piece of advice for people that says, look, when it comes to either creativity, comedy, unleashing your inner artist, whatever, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to people that says, look, Here's a step you can take tomorrow that'll make a difference in your business and your life. What would that be? I'd say don't do what you did yesterday. Don't make the decision that you made yesterday. You know, in improv, there's a there's a game called third choice. And you say, you know, there once was a boy and his name was John. And then someone yells out, second choice. And you go, Frank. And you go, third choice. And you go, Barbara. And... You have to force yourself to make different choices because it's so logical, it's so comforting, it's so safe to do what you did yesterday. And I don't care if you're, you know, writing a yearly plan for, you know, your client or whether you're out for a meal. I mean, how many of us go out to a meal and go, eh, I'll have the steak. I always get the steak. Well, you know what? The, the chances of that steak being the most amazing steak in the world is pretty slim. All steak is kind of good steak. And occasionally you can get an amazing steak. But you always order the same thing, and so you always get the same results, and you're somewhat fulfilled but not over the moon. If you go into the restaurant and go, I'm just, I just promised myself I'm not going to order steak today. I'm going I'm to create a third choice. So a second choice is like chicken, and then third, point, third choice is like vegetarian. Whoa, I never get vegetarian. Now, the, the, the trouble with that 
is that the risk is greater that you'll bomb, that the vegetarian dish is going to suck, and you're going to kick, and you go, I knew I should have got the steak. I'm always happy with the steak. But because there's the greater reward that comes with greater risk, the chances of you being over the moon and surprised by that third dish, that third choice, the vegetarian dish, is that much greater. Yeah, but that's that's great insight. Yeah, just try something different. Just try something different. Just make a different decision. Take a different route to work. You know, put a different clothes combination. You know, start a, a subject line of an email, not with here are the minutes. Just something, just force yourself to say I'm going to do something else. And know that you might tank, and and that's okay. So, Ron, what's the what's the best way for people to track you down to learn more about what it is that you're doing at the Tight Group and learn more about Ron Tight? Well, thank you for the opportunity uh, to tell them. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ron Tight T I T E, uh, Facebook slash Ron Tight, Ron Tight on LinkedIn, RonTight.com, or thetightgroup.com. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's the it's the benefit of having a first and last name that only have that only has seven characters. They're, those domains are easy to get. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your insight. I know people got a ton of information out of this, and hopefully, people will make a choice tomorrow that they didn't make today. Thanks, thanks, Ian. And and the book. Sorry, what I didn't mention was the book. The book is also available um, now as of September twentieth. And the, you can get the book, Everyone's an Artist, or at least they should be uh, at uh, Amazon. Yeah, and I encourage people to get it. We'll have all this linked up in the show notes so people can just magically click on a link and everything will happen. Thanks again, Ron. Thanks for having me. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key actionable items I think you can use and apply to your business right away. And before I do, I just want to thank those of you who have taken the time to subscribe and those of you sending in notes with questions and comments. It really makes a big difference. So here are the key takeaways that Ron shared that I think you can apply right away. First, the beauty of improv and performance is that there are no excuses, and that's something you should all live by in your business because you got to own those situations. Second, be sure that when you're thinking about things like improv or being creative, Your goal is to be effective. You want to be open to the message and keep in mind that comedy or being funny captures attention and we get that emotional response. So you can get that emotional response with something dramatic or funny and it has almost the same effect. And finally, be sure to try something different tomorrow than you've done today and you may open up to new opportunities. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.